From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hey y'all, it's Elizabeth. I am so glad you're here with us today. On this episode, we're joined by a good friend of mine and a Jesuit, Deacon David Lugo. Hi, Deacon David. Hello, Elizabeth Busby. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited you're here. It's so good to see you. Yeah, me too. Well, I haven't seen you in a really long time, and so it's very nice to be able to see you, at the very least, through my computer. I know. I'll take it. I'll take it. So um, for those of y'all who are listening, I want to read you a quick bio of Deacon David before we get started. So Deacon David Lugo, um, Society of Jesus, was born in the Dominican Republic and immigrated to the United States at a young age with his parents and two older brothers. Following his parents' advice, he went to Texas A&M University, whoop, where we met, I'm so sorry about that, to complete a bachelor's degree in physics before entering seminary formation. It was at A&M that David met the Jesuits. He began to discern religious life in the society and requested admission to the novitiate upon completing his undergraduate work. After vows, he studied philosophy at St. Louis University and was then missioned to teach theology and mathematics in Dallas. He remembers those three years with great fondness and looks forward to returning to the classroom in the future. After completing his MDiv at the Jesuit School of Theology in Toronto, David requested to study spiritual theology and Ignatian spirituality at the Pontifical University of Comillas in Madrid, Spain. After his ordination to the priesthood this summer, David will return to Madrid hopefully the virus is gone, to finish his licentiate in spiritual theology and serve (laughs) as a priest at a Jesuit parish in Madrid. How about that? So great. So great. (laughs) I remember you entered formation when I graduated college in 2011. No, you entered in 2009, didn't you? When you graduated. So I, so yeah, so you and I, you and I were two years apart. (laughs) Yes. And so I graduated 2009 from Texas A&M and I took vows in 2011. So that's, that's what it was. Okay. So it's been a long, right, journey. right. <laughs> long journey. Yeah. It's been a very long journey. As you well know, I mean, the Jesuits, we have a very long formation. So my formation for priesthood is about 11 years. So I entered right. in 2009 and my ordination to the priesthood will be this summer. Um, Jesuit formation goes on even longer than that. I mean, my Jesuit <laughs> formation technically won't end until another 10 or so years. There's like ongoing yeah, formation before that. final vows. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Long. People, people say that we're a little slow. And so it takes us a little bit longer to, to finish. But you know, the truth is that watching your formation for your vocation is one of the things that really, um, opened my eyes to how inadequate marriage discernment form and formation is. Um, because mm-hmm. I was over here watching you get all of this formation for, you know, the order that you're joining, but also all this formation for the priesthood. And I got a weekend and I sought out a couple of meetings with, a. uh, you know, a mentor couple. So how about that? No, totally. I know. Totally. I, know. I spent longer in driver's head. So I, uh, <laughs> I, it was one of the things that really led me to like that kind of planted the seed for this ministry actually to give people longer formation, even though it's not going to be the same kind of formal formation you have. It, it, people can, you know, kind of formalize it on their own when they're single and they're, they're dating and have a, a deeper, richer formation for their discernment and for marriage. So Thanks yeah. for letting me watch from the outside as you. Yeah, sure, sure. For a you know, so one <laughs> one of the things that I was thinking about when you when you were talking about that. So like for sure, I would say that like marriage formation doesn't really seem to exist in any kind of formal capacity. Um, preparation for marriage, 
um, was it proximate preparation for marriage? I think is the phrase that you like to use. Um, that John Paul II likes what, what to I, use that I, I use. But I'll did he get it from you? I mean, I think I think he maybe read your <laughs> he read your master's thesis and then he published his. Lopped <laughs> it out of there. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I find interesting though is that like okay, so there there is the kind of formation that happens in preparation for like entering entering into a state of life. Right, like you enter into the state of life of marriage, or I enter into a state of life of religion or priesthood. But there's something also about like ongoing formation in your state of life. So, like yes. I imagine that you probably have learned a ton about what it means to be a wife and a mother, having become one. Yes, and oh more so than it's 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 a way of me just saying that like to take some of the pressure off in the discernment process for any kind of state of life, you don't have to have it all figured out before you make your choice. Like yes, I, yes, yes. Thanks for saying that. Yes. Well, it's a, yeah, like for me, the 10 years that I've been a Jesuit, two of those years, I, I didn't have vows. And then mm. those were two years of discernment and two years of preparation for my entrance into religious life as a vowed religious. And so the eight years subsequent to vows, which were my preparation for priesthood, they were already within my vocation. Like I've already mm. made a commitment. And so it's part of my ongoing formation. It's just to say that I think sometimes there's a temptation to say that I have to be perfect before I can make a decision. Absolutely. It's like, no, yeah. yeah, Jesus wants to use your choice and entrance in a state of life to perfect you over the course of your whole life, you know? Love it. Love it. And that's why you're here because you have all these amazing nuggets of wisdom that you've gleaned studying at the feet of Ignatius and his descendants. Um, yeah. Well, and... instead of uh, having a picture of you, uh, I have a picture of me because I'm talking to myself because there's a lot of this that I keep forgetting to, to do. <laughs> <laughs> to implement. No, so it's a good reminder. I'm just kidding. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so I know like, what, okay, I think, I don't think I mentioned what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is Ignatius dis Ignatian discernment. And I I have a very Ignatius spirituality, Ignatian spirituality, um, as is my husband. And so we use um, some of Ignatius's basic kind of tenets of discernment, both just in our lives in general, but I am in no way qualified to teach them. Um, you know, I've just read books and I, you know, I have a master in theology, so I've studied it, but I, it's so good and so important. And so I figured I'd bring in the experts an actual real life mm. Jesuit to talk to you guys about Ignatian discernment. Um, so that's what we're talking about today. Probably should have said that at the beginning, but that's fine. Um, so I know that this topic is obviously incredibly rich. Like people can go on 30 day silent retreats where they say nothing and they, and they just receive, right? And I'm giving you 20 minutes, but I know it'll be scratching the surface, but can you just give us just an introduction to Ignatian discernment, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, I'm still a student in this too. And, and that's what I'm studying. And I feel like I'm learning a lot and I have a lot more to learn. Um, just a quick background. So St. Ignatius Loyola, so we have a man born at the end of the 15th century, lives through the first half of the 16th century and dies, um, you know, after the Council of Trent. So he lives through this time of major turmoil and the renaissance of Catholicism after the reformers. And so right, the, Protestant the contemporaneous- yeah, if you didn't know where that fell in history, the Protestant Reformation yeah. during this time. Yeah, exactly. So we're talking about St. Ignatius and we're talking about in the north of Spain. So he's a Spaniard. He's a courtier. He's a man who lives um, a very secular life. Some people call him a soldier. Uh, and he goes through this major conversion that leads him down this path, this spiritual path that eventually leads him to make friends at university that lead to the founding of the Society of Jesus in 1540, the Jesuits. And so Ignatius is known as the founder of the Jesuits, and he was our first leader. Um, and he's 
aside from all of that, he's this wonderful spiritual master that has a ton to say about how God works with the soul, how God works with the individual. And Ignatius is not new in that. The tradition long before Ignatius was very much concerned with how do we, as Ignatius phrases it, discern the spirits. You know, so that goes all the way back to the letter to James. So we have to, or the letter to John, one of the two, I can't remember which one, but we have to test the spirits, discern the spirits. And Ignatius picks that up from the tradition. So you have like in the fifth century with the Egyptian fathers, you have like St. John Cashin writing ways and suggestions for people to be able to figure out who is influencing me right now. Is it God or is it the evil one, Satan, the yeah. devil, the evil spirit? What it, what is happening inside of me as I engage in the ascetical life, the life of asceticism, the spiritual battle, trying to figure out, geez, I just want to walk in the right path and I can't figure out whose voice is speaking to me right now. Is it me? Is it my, you know, is it my own ambitions and desires that I'm listening to? Is it the evil spirit? Is it God? Who is it? So there's a long tradition way before Ignatius in discerning, but Ignatius picks up the tradition and codifies it in a very beautiful beautiful way uh, in this small manual called the Spiritual Exercises, uh, which is a retreat program that Ignatius writes based on his experience of listening to God in his own life and experiencing conversion and learning to discern the spirits in his own life to follow the path that leads to grace and the path that leads to holiness. So long story short, I would just say the framework to understand Ignatian spirituality, to understand Ignatian discernment, first and foremost, Elizabeth, I would just say, and this is a really I think it's a good takeaway is first and foremost, before entering the, the text of the rules of discernment, which Ignatius has, we have to understand that for Ignatius, discernment is rooted in an experience of God, mm. not in a process of trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. What's the correct path? What's the wrong path? Oh, I love that. It, it's, a, it's a whole, it's again, falling in love with Jesus all over again, right? Like getting your heart beating right. in rhythm with the heart of Christ. Like that has to be the goal. Yeah, well, from there, I would, it's not only the, the goal, but it's also the beginning. So for Ignatius, <laughs> yes. like there's, it's rooted in an experience of God. So in at Loyola, when he experiences his conversion, it's, it's studying and reading the gospels that gets him to start feeling within himself that some things pull him towards the light and some things pull him towards darkness. And he starts to discern between the two and realizes, I have ambitions to be a great courtier, a great soldier, a great man in the world. And that leaves me dry. That leaves me desolate. That leaves mm. me in darkness. It makes me sad. But then when I start thinking about things of the Lord, things of God, for some reason, my heart becomes a flame. And so he starts discerning between those two experiences of one of desolation, one of consolation. And he starts to realize that God is calling me to change my life. And so in that experience of God, he's able then to start discerning what it is that the right path is. I just say that as a starting point, because I think a lot of times discernment is seen as the preliminary to a relationship with God is that if I'm going to have a relationship with God, I got to figure it out first, but it's, it's the, it's the reverse. It's the path is illumined by a relationship with the one who, who we're following. Like Jesus illumines the path, not that we have to somehow figure it out before we're worthy to be his disciples. I love that. Who oh, is that your daughter? That's totally my daughter. Did y'all hear her fussing during her I, nap time? I heard, I heard her. That's great. <laughs> you heard That's it. Great. Everyone can hear it. Keep what? on the recording. That's your, you, you've discerned your vocation and that's to have a screaming <laughs> child. That's what you've discerned. It, it is. It's to be recording podcasts during nap time and, or not nap time <laughs> as the case may be. 
<laughs> so anyway, so I don't know if any of that is helpful just to get a sense of like how a lived experience of God is essential to be able to begin a conversation around discernment. Without that, then all we're doing is like like career planning. That's all we're doing. That's so know? true. It's so important to differentiate that, right? And if your heart is not properly ordered, then I think it can totally lead to idolatry of even something as good as marriage. Um, and I think mm-hmm. people who you know want to get married so badly, they're like, how can I figure out how can I get there? What can I do? That it's sometimes if, if we lose sight of the fact that it's Jesus that we're seeking, right? When we dream of mm-hmm, happiness, mm-hmm. that it's Jesus who illumines the path to wherever we're going, that's going to make us happy. If we lose sight of that, then we can accidentally make an idol out of something even as good Anything. as the sacrament. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, there are plenty of examples in church history of clerics who should not have been clerics, people who become ordained thinking that it'll be good, yeah, but man, they think about yes. it in terms of worldly glory you know, um, mm-hmm. instead of discipleship with Jesus. Or running from something Certainly. or whatever, whatever they're doing. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. not Jesus they're after so, in that. Yeah. So to talk a little bit more, like Ignatian spirituality, Ignatian discernment. So Ignatius just does have rules for discernment. Uh, and a lot of those rules, all of those rules are in his spiritual exercises. And they're really great. There's something around 20 of them. Um, and we can go into the nitty gritty of them all, but it might be a, a bit of a distraction. We can maybe okay. highlight one of them a little bit later. Um, I think we're here to guide this because I don't, I don't even know where to start teaching yeah. it. Like I've applied it to my yeah. life, but I have no idea how to teach it. So that's why you're here to help us. So if it's going to be, if it's going to distract us right. to get bogged down in the actual rules, go somewhere else with yeah. the conversation. Uh, okay. So here, here's what I was going to offer. So the title is important for how okay. Ignatius puts as a title for the rules for discernment. He doesn't call them rules for discernment. He calls them oh. rules for feeling and thinking about all of those movements that are caused within my soul so as to better choose that which is according to God's will. That so whole thing is the that's title. Very Can you say that again? <laughs> that whole thing? Yeah, I'm, paraphr- I'm paraphrasing because I'm reading it in the Spanish. So oh. effectively what Ignatius <laughs> says is that these are rules to help us, and the two key words here are to feel and to come to know, to feel and to come to know the different movements, spiritual movements that are happening within my soul. So as to better be able to discern God's path. And the, the essential thing here is that Ignatius believes very deeply that God is working on my soul, but so is the enemy. And so the mm. enemy is working on my soul and so is God. And so we have to be very careful to discern well what it is that I am experiencing. And so allowing myself space to feel what I feel and to come to know the deceptions of the enemy and the invitations of God. And that's what discernment is, is to figure out the path by feeling in my heart and thinking with my brain where it is, feeling it out, knowing where the deceptions lie and knowing where the invitations to grace are. Because ultimately, one, one phrase that might come to mind, it's not really Ignatian, but it's, it's, it's true, it's, it's good doctrine, is that we're all engaged in spiritual warfare, right? This, mm. this engagement in the spiritual world where good spirits and bad spirits are constantly at war over our souls. And so Ignatius is offering rules for discernment so that we might not be so easily deceived and so we might more clearly find the path because the evil spirit would want us to always fall away from the right path and to follow down the road to perdition. Mm. So that's sort of a general outline of why he gives us rules because just like if you want to be able to stay within the bounds that leads you to a healthy lifestyle in terms of your diet, it seems like your soul should also have a good regiment to know how to follow in terms of, you know, where the good lies and where the evil lies. Absolutely. I love too that he includes feeling. 
I think that that is something that is um, maybe not given enough weight, right? Like mm -hmm. now in this kind of day and age that like you should know the good things and you should choose the good things and your feelings are probably going to lead you astray anyways. Is maybe the yeah. overarching um, thought, but I love that Ignatius, Ignatius is like, no, like your whole, use all your faculties, you know, use your reason yeah. and use your passions. To help. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And you said it, you said it correctly earlier. You said something like, uh, if your heart is disordered, if there's, if your heart isn't ordered to the good mm. and Ignatius uses that same kind of phrase is that we have to have an ordered affect, meaning that we have to desire that which is actually for our good. And so it's not enough to just know the good. Knowing the good is helpful, but it's also a matter of desiring the good. And we're not really ever going to choose the good if we don't want to. You can know that it's right to, I don't know, to pray. But if you don't want to pray, then I don't really know what virtue lies in just that very low level obedience to just pray out of obligation. There's some yeah. good there, but how much better would it be if we desired it? Anyway, so desiring God's will is essential for choosing the right path to um, yeah, anyway, that's sort of a general understanding. I, maybe I'll just say one last little general comment in the spiritual exercises, which is this program for what I would call spiritual freedom, spiritual liberation, finding God's will for your life. Love that spiritual um, freedom. I love it. Yeah. And there's an essential component to all of that. And Ignatius codifies it at the very middle, the very heart of the entire, uh, spiritual exercises. He calls it the election and Ignatius has it in mind that the people he wants to put through the spiritual exercises are people that want to either reform their life in some way, or as is that appropriate for this conversation, people want to choose their state of life. Mm. So Ignatius gives yeah. guidance in very particular ways about how to choose your state of life. Um, and the spiritual program of the exercises is supposed to prepare the soul to be able to make in freedom, a choice of state of life or a reform of their life. Um, and so the election is at the heart of the spiritual exercises as well. And so I maybe want to maybe spend the rest of our time going into that more so than in the rules, because sure. the rules apply as a person is approaching their election. Um, election in the choice where... they make. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Ignatius describes that a person will be approaching, for example, the desire to make the choice, and he makes it very clear, marriage or hmm. holy orders, for example. And he speaks about that. I love that he says that. And Great. Yeah, and how Thanks, to bro. approach those things, how to approach those things. And so one of the things that he says that I think is very helpful, uh, first and foremost, is he says that anybody who wants to make a good election, if you want to make a good election, and in this case, let's talk about marriage. If you want to make a good election for marriage, Ignatius will say that the most important preliminary consideration is that, and I'll just paraphrase him again. He says, the eye of your intention should be simple and only looking at that which you, a creature, will help you give praise to God and save your soul. Mm. So if you're going to approach any decision, especially a big decision like whether or not you should be married or not, the eye of your intention should be solely and simply focused on whether or not that which you are choosing is conducive to the glory of God and the salvation of your soul. Mm. That's key. If it's not about that, then it's, then you're not ready to choose. So the, I, so it's not so much the question of is marriage. Okay. You said good for your soul. What was the first one? Glory of God. So, so glory the God. glory of God. So okay. yeah. <laughs> so that. yeah. So the, the point is that any decision that a Christian should make 
needs to be one that's ordered to the glory of God and the salvation of their soul. Mm. That's it. This, this is something that I wanted to ask you. So it's, it was Ignatius who said that authentic discernment is actually choosing between two goods, right? It's not the choice Always, between yeah. a good and a bad, like something bad for you, something good for you. Like right. whether or not I should have sex if I'm not married, that's not discernment. That's a clear no. Right. Don't do that. You know, that's not in God's yeah. design for your dignity, but real discernment is choosing between two goods. So to get married or to not get married for some other reason, um, because your mm-hmm. vocation is something else. So, so what you're saying though, is that the eye, the eye ought to be focused on it. So it's not so much whether or not marriage gives glory to God and may save your soul. It's, you need to be looking for for what will bring glory to God in your own life and what will save your yeah. individual soul. So that needs to yeah. be how you're looking at it. I love that. Right. Orienting yeah. your I mean, I think a, approach. Yeah. It's all about how you're oriented. And if your orientation is towards the glory of God and the salvation of your soul, there you go. Um, I love that. Then, then, then that's good. That, then you have sort of a, uh, an upright intention. You have a pure intention. If we can maintain that intention as we approach any kind of discernment, then we're beginning correctly. And I think what ends up happening, unfortunately, is that with marriage in particular, there's a struggle with the passions because the passions get wrapped up in a lot of the deliberation. And it's a very beautiful fire that can power this engine of my relationship that I'm in love with her. Like she's mm-hmm. a beautiful person who causes all these great feelings in me mm-hmm. and I, I'm effectively drawn to her. But I need to pause for a second and ask, is this an invitation that will lead to a path where God will be glorified and we will be saved? Like, that's the question. So Not great. Yes. like, of course, the sex is going to be good. Of course, we're going to love each other. Of course, we'll have great feelings. That's not the point. The point of the discernment is about where will God be served most? Mm. Um, where will God receive the glory most? And if God will be glorified more with me as a married person, then that is the path, maybe. Or we can continue the discernment process. But I guess that's just the preliminary first consideration. If that's not even on your radar, that my discernment for marriage is more about God's glory and less about my, my happiness in life with a companion, then something is out of place. And it's not to say that that's a bad thing because clearly your happiness does give God glory, but where is your intention? If your intention isn't in giving God glory through this election, then you are not thinking as God thinks you're thinking as man thinks, mm. um, you know, And so another thing that comes out of the election that Ignatius says very clearly, he says, an election made in freedom, meaning a choice. And I keep saying election, I mean choice. When a choice is made in freedom, that will bring God glory. We have to be very cautious to not bring God to our ends, but allow our ends to be conducive to God. That is so Um, hard. That's such a hard thing to do. Yes. Yeah. It's like we justify things very easily. We say like, well, clearly God would want this. I mean, God right. wants holy families and I want to be married and I'm a holy person. So God would clearly want this. What I'm doing is putting myself first and telling God to meet me there and then justifying it rather than saying, I make myself indifferent to whatever God wants for me. And right. I do that, which is for his greater glory, whether it be marriage, whether it be consecrated virginity, whether it be holy orders. Right. Like, so that's another key thing is that, where is my disposition? And I guess I'm emphasizing this a lot because it's important for any kind of discernment. What are you intending? Are you intending to just figure this out so you can move on and get married or just enter a seminary and feel happiness? Or are you thinking about where is God going to be glorified? Like that has to be first. Yep, absolutely. 
And it may end up being the case that you adapt this, this indifferent posture towards the Lord and he turns around and then says, you can choose, but that's very different than you just choosing based on your desires without giving consideration to what, like what God would want. And I think what you're saying, that's so, I mean, there's everything you're saying is really fantastic. But one thing that's really important is this, um, this indifference, right? Being, Being really detached from your own will and being detached from what you want. Because I think the vast majority of people grow up assuming they're going to get married. Um, there Mm -hmm. isn't, obviously there are some people who are raised in homes where religious life and priesthood is a valid option. So there are people who that that's planted really young, thanks be to God. Um, but the vast majority of people grow up thinking they're going to get married. And so they enter into this discernment without that indifference for a lot of people. Um, and even to the point where like there, there could be a lot of fear around, um, celibacy, like being asked to be like alone your whole life or whatever, which is totally the opposite of what's happening because you're in deep mm-hmm. intimate union with God. Um, mm-hmm. so you're the opposite of alone, but there's this mm-hmm. misunderstanding of the call to celibacy. There's this misunderstanding of what it, like the, the beauty of the priesthood and religious life. And so there's not, there's not an indifference there. And I love that you emphasize that because in order to make yeah. a pure discernment, we have to be able to say yes to whatever God's wanting right? We have to be free to say yes. Right. Yeah. So freedom for Ignatius is indifference ultimately. Like, Oh yeah. He makes those are okay. That's great. Well, he never said, he never says that. So a lot, a lot of people will make that, all that conclusion from what he got. So he talks about indifference a lot, but if you were to think about how does, how does a person live their life? If they were to follow what Ignatius offers, it seems like a life lived in freedom is a life of indifference. Yes. Um, you know, because, because you're always receptive to whatever it is that God is inviting you to. Now, yes. I, I, don't, I don't always agree with that assessment. I think Ignatius goes further. I think Ignatius says that freedom, again, I use the word freedom, but he would say also that freedom is not just about being indifferent, but to end up choosing that which will make me more conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. And he does say that, uh, that indifference is not the goal. And I think this is a helpful thing for someone discerning, is that indifference is a precondition for an election. If you want to make a good and holy election or choice in your life, you can't do that if you're not indifferent, meaning that you're not free to allow God to show you what is, what is your vocation, but you just have a preconceived judgment. But then, subsequent to the indifference, God does ask of us to be conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's true freedom. And that's very mm-hmm. much St. Paul is that, it's no longer I who live, it's Jesus living in me. Mm-hmm. And so true freedom means suffering with Christ, living with Christ, walking with Christ. That's true freedom. And that's what God will always call us to. How that looks is what your state of life is. But you're, this is the universal call to holiness. Is that that's ultimately what your vocation is. You know? And so yes. how to be indifferent to the different ways in which your holiness can be you know, developed, deepened, you know, right. applied in the world. Mm. I love that universal call to holiness, man. Makes me so happy. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, he's referring to um, Lumen Gentium chapter five, which is a constitution of Vatican II. I can link it in the show notes if that phrase, if maybe you've never heard of it or you're intrigued by it, I can give you some places to start studying it. But essentially the church said in, um, in a document from Vatican II that all of us have a call to holiness, right? There's this universal call, lay people as well as 
priests and religious were all called to be holy. And I love that, you know, Ignatius, like 500 years before this council even happened, was talking about this universal call to holiness in that um, th- this is the point, the, the end of discernment is bringing glory to God. Yeah, yeah. And so a good takeaway always with Ignatian spirituality is Ignatius is a man of order. He's a man of order. So mm. he believes very much that things have their, their order and their place. And so for Ignatius, the end of the human person, man is created to praise, to reverence, to serve God, our Lord, and by that means to save his soul. Mm. So someone asks you, what is the meaning of life? Say, <laughs> man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God, and by that means to save his soul. So if I'm entering into, an, into a discernment process, that's the starting point is that what is my end? My end is the praise, reverence, and service of God and the salvation of my soul. That's the end. What is the means? Ignatius goes further and says that the means by which we do that is to use everything in the world, everything created, use it insofar as it's helpful to achieve that end. And so if, if, you know, if getting an education, if buying a car, if raising a family is conducive to the end of the praise, reference, and service of God and the salvation of your soul, then use it, do it. If it's not, then get rid of it. And that's just the gospel, right? Like if your eye yes. causes you to yep. sing, you know, throw it out. Yeah. You know, but Ignatius that, forms it, formulates it. Yeah, but Ignatius formulates it in a way that's helpful for discernment is that, like, for example, I often ask myself questions around money. Like, do I need to buy myself a new phone? It's like, well, okay. I think some of us can get very attached and say like, well, I don't want to buy a new phone. It's really expensive, whatever, whatever. But if this phone doesn't work anymore and it's not actually helping me do what I want it to do, then maybe I should be indifferent to it and let it go and get something new. Um, now, on a, more, on a more vocational level, how am I willing and to let God say, marriage, holy orders, doesn't matter. What matters is, are you indifferent to let me decide for you? Mm. Are you free to let me decide for you? And are you open to either one of them being conducive to the end for which you're created, which is the praise and reverence of God and the salvation of your soul? So indifference is ultimately the the face of freedom for Ignatius. I love that. So kind of wrapping up, um, what is one practical thing related to kind of this intro to Ignatian discernment we've gotten? And really I I'm leaning more towards indifference, like developing an indifference in our hearts. What's one practical thing um, that our listeners could implement like later today after listening to this, Mm -hmm. that would kind of advance them on their discernment. Yeah, no, good question. I think indifference is a key one for sure. Um, I mean, I would love to talk to you again at another time about the actual rules themselves because there's so much practical wisdom there. Um, uh, but before that, like I would say right now, there has to be a clarity of intention in when you approach the discernment and you got to know why you would want to go into it and why you, what you're looking for. So I would encourage someone to try and begin cultivating indifference in front of their options because they see the end clearly in sight. So a very practical thing to do is to ask yourself, what is ultimately what you want? If you don't know what you want, then you have no business discerning anything because you're not actually doing the hard work of asking, what am I actually after? Mm. If you can answer that question, what is my deepest ultimate desire? If you can't answer that question, then I'm not sure what you're discerning. Um, You're discerning means without knowing the end. So for me, I think a very practical thing is to ask a person to sit down and pray for a few minutes, maybe journal about this, and ask, what is my deepest longing? What is my ultimate end? What do I actually want? Because everything else is a means to that. Um, 
and how can I start cultivating indifference to all of the particular means to accomplish the end, you know? Um, anyway, that's probably one thing to say. Cultivating indifference by knowing what end I'm actually aiming towards. Because it might be, you might surprise yourself. You might say, actually, God's glory has never entered into my calculation for why I want to get married. I love me a good journaling prompt. Okay, that's great. Thank you. You're okay. Um, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for yeah. giving it to us. And I'm You're definitely going to have you back to talk about the rules, the actual rules themselves. But I think this was a really good foundation for people who maybe have heard, you know, Ignatian discernment. I actually did an interview with someone else who was talking about the necessity of humility, um, which I'll link in the show notes, mm-hmm. but she was talking about the necessity of humility for discernment. And she got to a point where she basically straight up said, and knowing some more about Ignatian discernment would be really helpful here. And I was like, he, 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 he. I have someone. Yeah. Yeah. Ignatius so, makes it very clear too, that if you, if you, do, if you lack humility, you're in no position to elect anything. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. but great. So the, thank you for this, uh, the end of this intro to Ignatian discernment, and we will see you back to talk more in depth yeah. about the rules. So thanks so much. Deacon. Sounds good. Thanks Bye. Elizabeth. Bye. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode with Deacon David, uh, actually Father David, by the time this airs, he will have been ordained to the priesthood. So um, with Father David Lugo, and um, I'm so grateful that we got the opportunity to bring you a real expert on Ignatian discernment, and we look forward to having him back. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with anyone you think could be blessed by our work. We'd also love it if you'd follow us on Instagram at Discerning Marriage to continue the conversation. And until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the theology of the body, visit tobinstitute.org.